Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, July 16th. This is war. There is so much bad news going on in the world. The war between Russia and Ukraine. The threat of that war widening to a clash between superpowers and nuclear annihilation. The faltering and failing U.S. economy. High inflation with high prices for food, gas, and shelter. Terrorist attacks against the Jewish people in Israel. The looming Iranian threat to wipe Israel off the map. Our own absolutely corrupt U.S. government with criminals, thugs, and thieves occupying the highest offices in the land, in the Oval Office and the courthouses. The soon-coming CBDCs, which will take away all financial freedom. Our more than 900 January 6 prisoners languishing in the Washington, D.C. Gulag prisons. The child mutilation happening on a wide scale because of the transgender brainwashing agenda in our schools, human and child sex trafficking. All of this makes me so angry at the evil, the corruption, the injustice, and my heart is so grieved with the suffering of our children. It makes me weary, and I wonder when, when, Yeshua, will you come back and set things right? It vexes my spirit and makes me so weary. I know others are starting to feel weary as well. I want to encourage you with these words from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, 17-27. I believe it explains what is happening right now in the earth, what we are going through right now, and how in the end, God wins. Daniel 7 These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth, but the saints of the Highest One will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints, and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession 
of the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth, and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's forty-two months. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Daniel 7, 17-27 What do we see from this passage? The final and last kingdom just prior to the return of Messiah Yeshua is this fourth dreadful and terrifying beast. This beast tramples on the saints, attempting to tread them down and crush them. The beast speaks out against the Most High, and this wears down the saints. We have been warned in advance of how this beast system operates. They use the mainstream media to speak lies, to wear us down, to do psychological warfare against us, to trample upon us and to crush us. How do we combat this? First, realize and understand that this beast system is only for a time. It is only allowed dominion and authority over us for 42 months. This will pass. Second, understand that your mind, thoughts, and spirit are under intense spiritual attack. We must renew our minds and restore our spirits by being in the Word of God. Spend time with Yeshua, the lover of your soul, in your secret place, on a daily basis. Be encouraged and strengthened in His Word and in His promises and in His covenant with you, His saints. Do not weary in doing good. Stay the course. Stay on task. Stay focused on the mission. And know that God is with you. He will bring you to the finish line. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week, we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Devarim, and it means words. Deuteronomy 1, 1-15 
These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtoreth and Edrei. Across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are now, and bless you, just as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. You answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and officers for your tribes. First Chronicles 22.1-23.22 Then David said, This will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel, and he assigned them the task of preparing finished stone for building the temple of God. David provided large amounts of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors in the gates and for the clamps, and he gave more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided innumerable cedar logs for the men of Tyre and Sidon, had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, 
I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, You have killed many men in the battles you have fought, and since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord, nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered, all the leaders of Israel to assist Solomon in this project. The Lord your God is with you, he declared. He has given you peace with the surrounding nations. He has handed them over to me, and they are now subject to the Lord and his people. Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you can bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. When David was an old man, he appointed his son Solomon to be king over Israel. David summoned all the leaders of Israel together with the priests and Levites. All the Levites who were 30 years old or older were counted, and the total came to 38,000. Then David said, From all the Levites, 24,000 will supervise the work at the temple of the Lord. Another 6,000 will serve as officials and judges. Another 4,000 will work as gatekeepers, and 4,000 will praise the Lord with the musical instruments I have made. Then David divided the Levites into divisions named after the clans descended from the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The Gershonite family units were defined by their lines of descent from Libni and Shimei, the sons of Gershon. Three of the descendants of Libni were Jehiel, the family leader, Zetham, and Joel. These were the leaders of the family of Libni. Three of the descendants of Shimei were Shelomoth, Haziel, and Haran. Four other descendants of Shimei were Jehath, Ziza, Jeush, and Bariah. Jehath was the family leader, 
and Ziza was next. Jeush and Bariah were counted as a single family because neither had many sons. Four of the descendants of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. Aaron and his descendants were set apart to dedicate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices in the Lord's presence, to serve the Lord, and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. As for Moses, the man of God, his sons were included with the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. The descendants of Gershom included Shebuel, the family leader. Eliezer had only one son, Rehabiah, the family leader. Rehabiah had numerous descendants. The descendants of Izhar included Shelemeth, the family leader. The descendants of Hebron included Jeriah, the family leader. Amariah the second, Jahaziel the third, and Jechamim the fourth. The descendants of Uziel included Micah, the family leader, and Ishia the second. The descendants of Merari included Mali and Mushi. The sons of Mali were Eleazar and Kish. Eleazar died with no sons, only daughters. His daughters married their cousins, the sons of Kish. Three of the descendants of Mushi were Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the descendants of Levi by clans, the leaders of their family groups, registered carefully by name. Each had to be twenty years old or older to qualify for service in the house of the Lord. For David said, The Lord, the God of Israel, has given us peace, and he will always live in Jerusalem. Now the Levites will no longer need to carry the tabernacle and its furnishings from place to place. In accordance with David's final instructions, all the Levites, twenty years old or older, were registered for service. The work of the Levites was to assist the priests, the descendants of Aaron, as they served at the house of the Lord. They also took care of the courtyards and side rooms, helped perform the ceremonies of purification, and served in many other ways in the house of God. They were in charge of the sacred bread that was set out on the table, the choice flour for the grain offerings, the wafers made without yeast, the cakes cooked in olive oil, and the other mixed breads. They were also responsible to check all the weights and measures. And each morning and evening they stood before the Lord to sing songs of thanks and praise to Him. They assisted with the burnt offerings that were presented to the Lord on Sabbath days, at new moon celebrations, and at all the appointed festivals. The required number of Levites served in the Lord's presence at all times, following all the procedures they had been given. And so, under the supervision of the priests, the Levites watched over the tabernacle and the temple and faithfully carried out their duties of service at the house of the Lord. Romans 3, 9-31 Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? 
No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law, the Torah, applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law, the Torah, commands. The Torah simply shows us how sinful we are. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, in Yeshua HaMashiach. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Yeshua as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Yeshua, Jesus, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus, Yeshua. Can we boast, then, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, the Torah. Our acquittal is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law, the Torah. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only 
one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the Torah, the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law, the Torah. Psalm 12, 1-8 Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. They say, We will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies, I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will rise up to rescue them as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed preserving them forever from this lying generation, even though the wicked strut about and evil is praised throughout the land. Proverbs 19, 13 and 14 A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping, Fathers can give their sons an inheritance of houses and wealth, but only the Lord can give an understanding wife. I want to speak to you today from our reading from 1 Chronicles 22, and then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 3. And I actually want to back up a little bit and go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And What the backdrop of this story is, is that David, Satan entered into his heart for a moment and put it in his heart to take a census of the people of Israel. So David says to Joab, go and take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and bring me a report. But God was very displeased with this census and he punished Israel for it. And then David says to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. So you have to see that even though David was imperfect and he would often sin, he was quick to repent. And so um, Gad comes to David. He's a prophet. And he says, you have choices that the Lord has given you. You can choose three years of famine, three months of destruction by the sword from your enemies, or three days of severe plague. And David, decide what answer you would give the Lord. David says, I'm in a desperate situation, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And so the Lord sends a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 people die as a result of this plague. David sees the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn, and he 
David and the leaders put on burlap to show their deep distress and fall face down on the ground. And David again repents and confesses to the Lord, I am the one who caused this. I'm the one that called for the census. These people are innocent. What have they done? O Lord, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. So then the angel of the Lord relents. And David wants to make a sacrifice now to the Lord. And he comes to a man by the name of Aruna, who has a threshing floor. And he says, I I want to purchase this threshing floor from you so that I can make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Aruna says, oh, I'll just give it to you. And David says, no, I, I will pay for this. I will buy this because what value is a sacrifice if it costs me nothing? So David gives Aruna 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. And there David built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David prayed, the Lord answered him by sending fire from heaven to burn up the offering on the altar. This is similar to the fire from heaven that was that came down when the first temple was built and Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication over the temple. And the Lord sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice upon the altar. And so when David saw that the Lord had answered his prayer, he offered sacrifices there at Aruna's threshing floor. Okay, now that's chapter 21. Chapter 22. Then David said, This will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. Beloved, that is the modern-day Temple Mount Plaza, the most hotly contested piece of real estate on planet Earth. So the threshing floor that David purchased from Aruna for 600 pieces of gold ultimately became the site for the first temple for the second temple and for the Temple Mount Plaza where the Dome of the Rock is. And it was because David had committed a sin in doing a census and then a plague was sweeping through the camp that David repented and cried out to the Lord and then offered an offering on the threshing floor that the plague was stopped. And that threshing floor became the site of the Temple Mount. It was a place of sacrifice. And when we come before the Lord, sometimes we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice We come to him as a living sacrifice, and we have to put ourselves upon the altar and give everything over to him, yield and surrender everything over to him and hold nothing back. 
Okay, I want to jump into Romans chapter 3. And there's an extremely important principle that is covered in this chapter that many times in the Hebrew roots messianic world, we lose sight of this very, very critical, crucial, essential truth. So let me just read a few of those verses that uh, that give us this truth. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law, the Torah, commands. The law, the Torah, simply shows us how sinful we are. You could liken the Torah to looking in a mirror. And when you look in the mirror, you can see the dirt on your face. And if you never looked in the mirror, you wouldn't know that you have dirt on your face. Okay, so the Torah, the word, the law, is our mirror. And it reveals to us our sin and how sinful we are. When we read it, we look in the mirror. But the Torah, the mirror, does not make us righteous. The mirror does not clean us, does not get the dirt off of our face. It goes on to say in verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. This is the soap that God has provided to get the dirt off of our face and off of our body. The soap to cleanse us, to take away our sin, is Yeshua, putting our faith in Him. Verse 23, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So let me frame this in another way. Let's say you committed some kind of a white-collar crime, and it involves the theft of a million dollars, and somehow it was embezzlement from funds uh, retirement funds of many, many, many people. And so a lot of people have been hurt. And even though you were not the mastermind of the crime, maybe you were just the bookkeeper keeping the books, and maybe you weren't even aware of what was going on. Uh, the mastermind was the one that was, you know, siphoning off the funds and stealing. Because you were associated to this mastermind, now you're on trial for embezzlement and grand larceny. And, um, you know, it, it could involve up to 20 years jail time. Uh, let's just say that that's the case. So now you go to court and you have a prosecutor who's bringing his case against you with his charges that have been brought against you. And it's very scary to be thinking that you might be going to prison for 20 years. Maximum security. But then the Lord has sent you a defense attorney. And the defense attorney is very, very good. And the defense attorney looks at all the evidence and, and, and shows the jury, look, there's just no evidence here that this person who's accused was involved in this crime. They're simply the bookkeeper. 
They are not the mastermind. They did not do this crime. And at the end of the day, you're acquitted. That defense attorney is Yeshua. And he's the one who gets the acquittal for you. Now, the acquittal is not based on your behavior, because your behavior is what's on trial. You were associated to a mastermind criminal who stole a million dollars from people. And, you know, there's a guilt by association. Your acquittal is based upon the defense attorney and his presentation of the facts to the jury. Our acquittal for our sin is based upon our faith in Yeshua, who is our defense attorney. Our acquittal is not based on, but Lord, I've been a good person, and I have followed your Torah since I was a young'un. And I've gone to Shabbat every single week, and I keep the feasts, and I do all these things in your Torah. I'm a good person. That's not what gets us our acquittal. Our acquittal from sin, from death, is our faith in Yeshua, because we can never be good enough. Never. So we cannot rest upon our good works. Our case does not stand upon our good works. Because if you break the law even one time, it's as though you've broken all of the laws of God. Our defense rests upon our defense attorney. We put our faith in him, in Yeshua, and on what he did for us. He basically said, I'm going to take your place. The wages of sin is death. And you and I, we all deserve death for our sin. And Yeshua said, I'm going to take that penalty upon myself. I will die in your place. And so God's righteous law is upheld, and righteousness and justice is meted out, and a death takes place for all the sins of the world. And so as we place our faith in Yeshua, that is what acquits us from the death penalty. It is what makes us right with God the Father when we place our trust and our faith in Yeshua. We must remember this. It is very easy to slip into a works mentality that I work my way to heaven. I earn God's favor by doing good works. And we just work, 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 work our little fanny off. It's all by faith. We begin in faith with our initial born-again experience, and we continue in faith in our day-by-day journey. It's all by faith, not by works, so no one can boast, well, aren't I the greatest guy here in heaven? Look at me. Look at all the good works I did. That's all based on pride. It's all by faith. We begin in faith, and we continue in faith. Verse 30, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. So it is by faith. 
Okay, that's all I have for today. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.